Smoking to relieve tension, I'm Jasmine. And feeling tense thanks to smoking, I'm Mel's. Welcome to Damn Fine TV's Twin Peaks Rewatch. This week, we're covering Season 2, Episode 1, sometimes known as May the Giant Be With You, or as we're calling it, Attack of the Killer Hospital Food. Listeners, a path is formed by laying one stone at a time. So let's rock. This episode first aired on September 30th, 1990. It was written by David Lynch and Mark Frost and directed by David Lynch. Well, here we are in season two. Yay! Yay! We made it! We did, we did. Um, (laughs) Wow, I was not expecting this long-form opener to season two. I did not remember that it was such a lengthy episode. How are you feeling about this premiere? I mean, exact same. Like, literally, I pulled it up to watch it, and I was like, okay, because I had planned out, you know, about a a little over an hour, you know, with writing my notes and everything. And then when I saw the time marker of like an hour 33, I was like, what, what are there like, because I usually watch on Netflix, but I pulled it up on Hulu and I started getting worried. I was like, wait a minute, did Hulu like add in like special scenes or something? (laughs) Yeah. Because I didn't remember it being this long the first time I watched it. Um, And of course they didn't. It really was just that long. So, but I started sweating. I was like, should I just switch back to Netflix? Like, what should I do? But anyway, um amazing amazing opener to season two again like I think what has happened in my mind is I'm so fond of season one then you have season two but season three is my all-time absolute hands-down favorite so like season two kind of gets lost in the translation a little bit there so I kind of tend to forget uh, about how great of an opening season two had right you know like just everything that happens in the first few episodes. And man, I was just in it for the long haul. And I was, oh, went through all the emotions as usual, scared, like some, and I felt like there was a lot more like funny quirks um, in this than there you kind of saw in season one, which I was pretty appreciative of. So, oh, just amazing as usual. I th- yeah, I agree. I thought it was really quirky and really funny and like a lot of heartwarming moments too. But also I think this is probably the scariest episode. It, there's a lot of horror elements here. But yeah, it was a great way to kick off the season. I think it starts to add new mysteries and new layers to the mysteries that we already had. And it feels like, I mean, obviously a lot happened. I will say you know, we talked about the length of the pilot and how it never felt kind of overstretched or overlong. This time, I didn't know the runtime because I'm watching on DVD. So unless I'm rewinding or fast forwarding, I'm not seeing the time. And I, it was the kind of episode where I was like, this is still happening? Like, wh- what's going on? Why is this still like playing right now? Whereas I never felt that way with the pilot. So I will say it's more noticeable here. 
And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just a thing. But yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great way to kick off season two. As we were getting, like, I mean, the giant is just right there, right away. And I was like, are we going to eat our words about hating season two? Like, because this is uh-huh. so magical already. And I mean, that's partly what we love so much about this show. So I was like, oh, shit. Like, is this just, lo- are we just thinking about James and his wild ride? I mean, slight <laughs> spoilers for that, which listeners, if you've never watched this, you could never possibly guess what James gets up to. But absolutely not. <laughs> but I'm just like, is that overshadowing everything? And anyways, yeah. I, I'm so here for all the horror elements. Like this Me was Me too. And that ending. I, ah! <laughs> that ending that like seemingly tells us who killed Laura Palmer. Honestly, I thought all of that was in Firewalk with me, to be yeah. honest. So yeah. I was just like, whoa, wow. And I wish that I could tap into what I felt really like really recall the first time I watched it because I hadn't seen Firewalk with me yet. Like, I wish I could tap into like what that felt like, but that's been, I mean, you know, the road has been paved so far past that now that I'm just like, (laughs) oh, that's a distant memory, you know? I know, I know. Well, next week we're going to have Amelia on the show and she is a first time watcher. You might remember her as the girl that sent in the most wacky and wild, amazing theories for our season one Love recap. It. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing what she thinks about this ending because it feels it feels like a bombshell. Like it feels huge. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We can talk more about it when we get there, obviously. Let's get into some damn fine facts. You know, we got to do the date tracker. So this is all taking place on Friday, March 3rd. The news reporter is played by Mark Frost. All right. Okay. I have to tell you, first of all, I didn't Google that because I was like, I am going to wait until we get on the pod and I am going to genuinely pat myself on the back for the realization, but not, not just because I'm aware of who he is now, but because the very first thing that popped into my head and I'm not going to get too spoilerish, but it reminded me of the character in the return. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Is that him? Yeah. And so I, I was like super proud of myself because I was like, well, way to connect the dots, Mel's. Well Yay. done. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's played by Mark Frost. And I like I was actually kind of surprised by these stats, but 19 million people watched this when it first aired. Wow. I feel like The Walking Dead was one of the most watched shows when it was, you know, in its first early seasons. And I feel like that was 17 million. Mm-hmm. So yep know kind of a big deal big deal yeah and then I don't know if you noticed but there was a this was a longer version of the credits and the music was a little bit tweaked as we made it towards the end like it felt much darker apparently these credits were also used in the pilot I don't remember that being a thing but I guess it makes sense use it in the pilot use it in the season two premiere but yeah it's a longer version of these long ass credits if you can believe it (laughs) yeah so that's why it was an hour and a half long, because it was 30 yeah. extra minutes of credits. No, <laughs> just kidding. We just can't tell anymore because they're already so long that we're like, uh-huh, no, this seems right. They're very Absolutely. long Absolutely. <laughs> but I did notice the change in, I did notice it being darker. And I was like, ooh, yeah. now I love that, especially after you finish the first episode and the way it ends so, like, ominously that it would make it sense for these the credits. Exactly. Yeah. 
it's kind of like, okay, you bought up The Walking Dead and not to get too far off the road, but it's almost like every season of The Walking Dead, also every season of like Game of Thrones, let's say. That's another good example. The opening credits change slightly, but they change to mirror what that season is going to feel right. like. So there's there's darker tones. There's not bright colors anymore, you know, things like that. So yeah. it really kind of starts to give you the... Um, the path that that season's going to take. And I love that because just adding that extra little tweak into it being a slightly darker version of the credits kind of gives, you know, or gives you an idea of like, well, where are we going in this season? Because it's going to be a lot darker than we thought we have seen in Twin Peaks, right? Oh, yeah, totally agree. Well, let's kick off our scene by scene recap. So we're going to start things off at the Great Northern, where Cooper is lying on the ground, bleeding out from the three shots to his abdomen that also somehow launched him across the room. Because if I recall, he was shot at the door and now he's laying by his bed. Regardless, our poor Cooper lays, lays shot and bleeding out. Uh, we can hear Andy over the phone, and then room service arrives with an elderly waiter who has no recognition that there is a man bleeding out on the floor in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but I couldn't it help but- It has to be. <laughs> I just couldn't help but giggle at that poor room service guy because it's like, just the thumbs up and the wink. And I'm like, right. But he needs you to call a medic. Like he needs you to get the doctor on the phone. And you're just like, thumbs up, wink. And don't, hey, just so you know, that warm milk's going to get cold. So he is worried about the wrong things. (laughs) Now, from his perspective, I will say he's just doing a job. He wants to make sure that the product was delivered and that, you know, it going cold doesn't reflect poorly on him. You know, he delivered it warm. He wants to just make sure Cooper knows. He manages to get the signature. He's going to, the gratuities included. You know, he may, he needs to make his coins. I get right. it. But I love that he was like, uh, that Cooper asked for him to call a doctor. And it seems like he's going to do it. But then he fully just gets distracted by the sound on the phone. And he's like, well, I better hang that up. And then with much <laughs> difficulty, hangs up the phone yeah. and is so proud. <laughs> yes. I did it. Yay. I hung the phone up. Right. <laughs> The whole time I was just thinking, this must have been so frustrating to first-time viewers, especially the people that were watching it when it was first airing, because you go from, I mean, what, the the finale must have been sometime in May, I believe, and then we're coming back in September. Cooper has been shot. There's so many things left on the line, and we're starting out with, I mean, very slow movement, not only in plot, but in this character in general. I mean, it must have just been, like... People must have been losing their minds. Oh, they had to have been. I mean, like, I was even kind of losing my mind and I've already (laughs) seen it. Like, I was like, come on, like, just how about when you're trying to hang the phone up? Why don't you see who's on the line and then ask them if they you could get some help? I mean, yeah. And the absurdity of Cooper laying there bleeding out and he's like, does this include gratuity? I mean, (laughs) I just such a sweetheart. I know. Bless his heart. Like, he's so wholesome that he wants to make sure, in case I do die, that you do get your tip. Okay, sir? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, this guy's behavior just gets weirder and weirder, though, because then he starts talking about, like, I've heard about you, and he's giving him the thumbs up. He says this twice, and then he leaves, and he comes back to say it again. 
or actually, I don't know if he says it again, but he comes back at least for the thumbs up. And the wink. And the wink. Yeah. I Uh mean, what do you think this means? I've heard about you. I talked about this when we covered like my first watch through Twin Peaks about what's going on in Twin Peaks. We've talked about time in Twin Peaks. This is I, I remembered. This is where I started to question. Okay, wait a minute. What's reality and what's not? And the reason that I started questioning that and I still do is already in the first, what, five, six, seven minutes of the episode. There's so 45 many, minutes, maybe. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. There's so many what I'm calling loops going on. Uh, first one is Andy just continuously. Ooh. Yeah, just continuously asking the exact same question. Cooper, can you hear me? It's Andy. You know, it's Andy. Cooper, can you hear me? You know, whichever way he says it. But it is a continuous loop of the exact same phrasing. He says it over and over and over again. And then I felt like it was a slightly altered but same feeling loop with the room service guy. Totally. Because even before he left out of the room and came back, he gave a thumbs up and a wink twice. And then he left out of the room and he came back in. And didn't say anything, right? But gave the thumbs up in the wing. And I just was like, okay, why do we keep seeing, you know, this same stuff over and over? And it is literally, I wrote down in my notes, like every time it happened during the episode, it is literally throughout the entire episode, just multiple, Ooh, like, okay. Yeah. You got to bring them up of, then. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But loops of dialogue or someone doing something the exact same way. So this is, I I do remember this is when I started to think, okay, wait a minute. Like, is there like, what, is there two things going on at one time? Because it just, it it didn't make sense to me why the same thing just kept happening again and again. I love this so much. So then a giant appears. Just a giant sort of fades into existence and (laughs) brings a nice spotlight with him just in case you couldn't see him before. And then starts telling Cooper all of these sort of cryptic messages and says, I'm going to tell you three things. And when they come true, then will you believe me? It's as though he's asked him these questions before. And he's like, are you going to believe me yet or what? Like, right. right. <laughs> but he says that there's a man in a smiling bag. The owls are not what they seem. And without chemicals, he points. And then he takes his ring and says that he'll return it when he finds these things to be true He also says, we want to help. So he's there on behalf of somebody or something or some people's. So, Mm -hmm. And then my favorite of of the cryptic clues is Leo locked inside a hungry horse. There's a clue at (laughs) Leo's. (laughs) You will require medical attention. And I was like, you think? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then he leaves. And then that's it. Oh, man. I love everything about the giant and Mm -hmm. what happens here. Um, I'm very, I'm actually really excited. Well, it goes without saying that I'm obviously excited to be going through season two again, but I'm really super excited because there's one clue in there that I cannot remember what it comes to fruition to be. And that's um, without chemicals, he points. Like for some reason, I can't remember. Fun. Uh, So I'm actually like, Okay, super jazz because I'm like I I've got to get to where, you know, that part comes out because gotcha. I was like 
I can, and again, I wasn't going to Google. I was like, we're going to do a, a clean, yeah. solid rewatch. And I'm not going to look these up and spoil myself, even though I've already seen it, you know? So I'm excited. I'm really excited. That's me with the clues at the end of the episode. Like, I think I have an idea of how that all works out, but but connecting the dots, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting to see it again. But yeah, that's fun. Absolutely. I'm, okay, that's so cool that you don't remember that one. That's yeah. really exciting. <laughs> Which I'm but sure yeah. when I get to it, I'm going to be like, really? Like, that's not what you remember? I'm actually but... sure you'll figure it out before it happens. Oh, okay, I think good. it'll become <laughs> obvious, but I mean, maybe, maybe not. But it's only your second watch through, so. Yeah, true. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is so much fun. I mean, I feel like uh, after you have to watch this waiter moving so slowly through this scene and then all of a sudden you get this giant appearing and all of these cryptic clues. I mean, this is what people I think. I mean, there's no resolution yet on a lot of things, but this is just adding more what the fuck to to the situation. And I think that must have been like a nice <laughs> soothing bomb after watching the the slowish waiter. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> All right, well, we'll head over to One-Eyed Jack's where Ben is advancing on his daughter. Ugh. Don't you think it's weird that Ben doesn't recognize Audrey's voice? I mean, she recognizes his voice. Thank you. Honestly, like, you can see her hair. Okay, I don't know. Like, I know it's just a TV show. I, You know, I get it, but... Mel's this I, is not just a TV <laughs> show. <laughs> Let me take that back. What I mean is it's um, it's fiction, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So well, they're telling a story. Okay, I'm going to push back. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Move on. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is, like, is he so out of touch with his daughter that he doesn't even, totally. like, recognize her voice or notice that because her hair is really maybe slightly a little more curled than it normally is. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, I know you wouldn't expect to see your teenage daughter at the, the, you know, the place you own with, with this going on. But at the same time, I, I, you should be able to recognize that. That's all. I just... I think so, too, but that's that's a good point that Ben is so disconnected from his daughter. And really, I mean, this is disgusting, but I'm sorry. In this moment, he's thinking with his dick. He is only concerned about this new girl who's freshly scented. And yeah, I mean, I just think it's a great point to to point out that he's probably just very disconnected from Audrey. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's just I mean, a lot of this is just yucky. That's my new word, because apparently I say gross a lot on the show. So <laughs> it's all very yucky. Uh, the, like the the idea that the that putting on the mask and like playing hard to get just makes it more fun for him is. Uh, and I I'm curious, like, why do you think Audrey doesn't just show that it's her? I just feel like in this moment, I'd be like, what the fuck, dad? And then like, get the hell out of there. She's yeah. already figured out that there's the connection between the Horns department store and her father and and sending the girls there. I don't know what more she's looking for. I don't either. I mean, I know, and we'll talk about it when we get more towards the end when she's having her little, like, you know, talk or whatever, her monologue. But I don't know if she's just trying to stay there to flesh out a little bit more of what if there's uh, what connection her dad might possibly have to like Ronette and Laura, like other than they might've worked there, you know, because they were at the perfume counter. It's a little muddled for me because I'm like, okay, well you've already figured out like what's going on. Like get out of there, you know, especially if you know, your dad's there. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's the whole thing is very uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. I don't, 
I don't do not like. Okay. No. No. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jerry is also at One Eyed Jacks and he's been chatting with Blackie. He's a total dick to her. I don't think we've seen Jerry be this way before. Usually he's just this quirky guy who loves food and I mean he's definitely yucky, but I don't think we've seen him be so awful. Literally in my notes, why is Jerry such a dick? Yeah. I it was so out of character. I've ne- like you're right. Like we never seen him like this. Like I feel like he isn't the one doing this kind of dirty work for the horns. Like he's right. the guy that parties and and exactly. eats the weird food and and takes the investors out for fun and anyways, yeah. So he's kind of a dick to Blackie who's like clearly strung out and looking for more drugs, but Ugh. he gets Ben's location from her and then at least he's good for something when he interrupts what's happening between Ben and Audrey and sort of like sidetracks that whole thing. But when her dad leaves, Audrey's face is so sad and so defeated. Like, I really, really felt for her in that moment. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, I can't, obviously I can't imagine like what all could have been going through her head at that moment. Like, probably, (laughs) probably fear that, you know, if he found out she was up there and that she kind of made a connection of like what was going on, you know, that it would be some type of fear with her father, but then also like extreme uncomfortableness that she got that close to like something inappropriate happening with her father. I don't know. Like the whole thing. I'm just like, oh, you know, get out of there, Audrey, go back to school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like just get out of there. <laughs> I mean, you bring up a good point too with the fear aspect and maybe that's why she doesn't reveal that it's her because if her father does have this connection and her friend Laura her friend, in quotes, Laura, has just been murdered. Maybe she's thinking that her dad has more to do with it in that way as well. And she's just too scared mm-hmm. to reveal that she's even there. Yeah. Because at first yeah. I was like, oh, maybe she's afraid of, like, getting grounded. But <laughs> it's probably more than that. Yeah. There's so much, like, the the dynamic between the two of them. Like, I can just imagine Ben probably would not have an issue bringing some type of harm to his daughter uh, to try to protect himself because Absolutely. we know how Ben is already. Yeah. So did you notice this when they showed the one-eyed Jack side? <gasps> Was there? Yes! I wrote down electricity! Oh, shit. <gasps> yes! Do they do that every time they show the sign? I don't know. This is the first time I actually heard it and picked up on it. And... I I mean, obviously, I would have to go back and, like, try to find, you know, a scene in season one. But I I swear this is the first time it jumped out at me, which makes me feel like it's the first time I I actually heard the electricity sound. Good catch. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, let's head back to the Great Northern, where Cooper is just having a chat with Diane. Uh, He reveals that he was wearing a bulletproof vest. And well, he and he had to kind of roll it up because there was a wood tip crawling on him. <laughs> so that's kind of the reason that, you know, it wasn't as fully. Oh, my gosh. What operational. Am I as fully operational, as fully efficient as it could have been. <laughs> but, you know, he's taking this time to sort of reflect on what he wants out of life. You know, you're in that near death experience, I suppose. And it brings those sort of things to your mind. And he would like to treat people better. He wants to climb a tall hill, but not too tall would like to sit in the cool grass, but, you know, not too cool of grass. <laughs> I was like, 
is he Goldilocks? What's going on? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Like, okay. Or the princess and the pea. Like the, every yeah. you had to keep adding mattresses because she kept feeling the pea. It's like yes. that, that's not soft enough. I yes. need a little more. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course he would like to visit Tibet. That goes without saying. And he'd like to make love to a beautiful woman who he has genuine affection for. Now that made me sad. Yeah, me too. You know, like, we know Cooper is this, like, no-nonsense, like, very upfront, methodical, you know, FBI agent and in whatever his task is that has his full attention and full focus. And, you know, whether he's had sexual encounters in the past or not, it just makes me sad that he says that he hadn't, you know, felt a genuine connection yeah. with someone and shared that experience. Oh, it just... <laughs> I mean, I don't know why it just got me in the feels. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, you're on your, you know, like, deathbed. And He's on his death floor. <laughs> yeah, death floor. <laughs> Much better. Oh, man. Yeah, poor Coop. I know. I know. It's a good bucket list he's made. I like it. <laughs> I like it, too. <laughs> and then, finally, Harry and Hawk do arrive. So we can assume that Cooper's going to be okay. I love the way they just like jump into the frame of the door with the guns drawn. It was like, it's like Twin Peaks, Charlie's Angels to me. Like, oh, it so was. That's so funny. Yes, I can see the like positions that they're doing right now. And it's so true. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And then goodness. we get this like strange transition where like both the picture and the sound are kind of stretched and warped. And then the way the camera comes back into focus totally reminds me of when you're like waking up from a surgery or something, mm -hmm. uh, or if you've spent the night before doing a lot of heavy drinking, maybe. But it's just yeah. like the way that the, it comes back into focus. Like, I feel like is Coop waking up just in this moment and beginning to explain why he was itching his belly or whatever? Like, why does he dive yeah. right into that? <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, like, obviously, that also started getting me to think, like, did he imagine all of that stuff that happened? Like, was he, when he got shot, like, Ooh. did it put, you know what I mean? Like, did it put him out? And then, like, now we're seeing him, like, kind of come to from that in the hospital. So, like, so many was, things. So he was shot at the end of season one. And then, actually, the only real thing is this now. Like, no right. room service, no giant. Yeah, I like right. that. Yeah. Especially because of the transition and the way that the camera comes back into focus. Like, it really does suggest coming out of, like, when I said, oh, you've spent the previous night heavily drinking, it's because you're coming out of, like, a very, very deep state of, like, being knocked out, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I like well, that. Well, it also makes you wonder, like, the, the giant stuff, you can see, like, that you know, potentially being part of a dream. But the way that I also kind of wrapped up the room service guy is that he was doing like a thumbs up, which is a Cooper. That's, totally. You know what I mean? So it's almost like, was he just imagining this guy that's like knows about him and like maybe admires him and he's like giving him a thumbs up. You know and what I mean? And of course he would receive no help because it's just in his head. Right, right. Love it. That's a great take. Um, yeah, so he's explaining why he was rolling up his vest, and then we see, like, the wood tick on the bullet, which I thought was a pretty cool shot. That is so ridiculous, by the way. Oh, I mean, so like... so silly, but I love it. 
I laughed so hard. It just <laughs> not just at Doc Hayward, like the whole absurdity of him just holding the bullet up, but just funny the way to kill the, a tick. <laughs> yeah, but just the way that the tick is just like right on the outside of that bullet, like it wouldn't get blown to smithereens. Exactly. <laughs> <Smithers>. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just that thought just that was demonstrates great. the indestructibility of a tick. Yes, true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> And then Lucy gets Coop up to speed about the previous night's events, which is kind of like a nice little, you know, previously on Twin Peaks kind of thing. But Leo was shot. Jacques was strangled. The mill burned down. Pete and Shelley. Well, I guess not all of the mill, but, you know, there was a fire at the mill. Uh, Pete and Shelley got smoke inhalation. Both Catherine and Josie are missing. Nadine is in a coma. And Coop says what you and I were thinking what time is it? <laughs> How long have I been out? <laughs> Only in Twin Peaks could that many chain of events occur in about like, I don't, I don't know, know, an hour. Four, I was I was going to say like at max four hours. Like, you know, because if you think max. about it, right, because they said it's 7.45 a.m. I'm thinking like if it was just like three in the morning that he got back from One-Eyed Jacks and got shot, yep. that would give you maybe like four hours for him to be like, found and then tended to and then come back to in the hospital. So, yeah, like, just the fact that all those things happened in such a short amount of time, it's only in Twin Peaks. Only in Twin Peaks. Cooper says to Harry that they should get a warrant for Leo's house, but they won't need it since he was shot there. Uh, And Cooper decides that he is fit enough to leave the hospital because, of course, he does. So, Cooper. And also, we can't fail to mention that Lucy is still mad at Andy because she refers to him as Deputy Brennan. Deputy <laughs> Brennan found him. <laughs> I love, I, okay, so much I love sass Lucy. This episode. So much sass from her. Oh, my gosh. It's a classic Lucy episode, in my opinion. Classic Lucy. <laughs> oh, man. And then we get some footage of the mill wreckage on TV, and the Mark Frost reporter says that authorities are calling it mysterious circumstances. We're still at the hospital, and Shelly is watching the footage, I believe, and she's, you know, crying about Bobby, remembering kind of that Leo said that he would kill him. And I feel like, why is she watching this footage? This just seems cruel. This is where she was almost burnt alive and killed. Like, change the channel, girl. (laughs) Just turn the TV off, honey. Okay, you've had Get so much rest. happen. Like, disconnect from the tube for a moment, okay? We're tuning <laughs> to Invitation so that we can find out who shot Montana, please. Hello, we're <laughs> on a cliffhanger here, people. <laughs> That's what I'm most frustrated about from this episode. We get no closure on Montana. There's no invitation to love, is there? No, like, no. yeah, I was like, It's a damn wow. shame. And it's Thanks a, a lot. fucking hour and a half. We could have had a I snippet. Know. We could have had 20 seconds of it. <sighs> Give me a break. So then out in the hallway, uh, Cooper is leaving against Doc Hayward's wishes, and he sees Jacques in a body bag and wonders, is that bag smiling? All I can think of when he says that is just Jacques' like nasty grin. <laughs> or you know what I mean? Like it's this nasty mouth, you know what I mean? And I'm like, mm, You can almost he? hear his French Canadian laugh coming from the like, bag. Ha 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 ha. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> And then we do a quick little check-in on Ronette, who seems like she might be waking up, but not quite. So we're over to the Palmer house, where Maddie is just fixated on the carpet, not paying attention at all to Sarah. She starts talking about how she had this very strange dream about the rug. And here comes Leland. 
out from behind that goddamn room divider, and he is just ready to put on another show. Oh, my goodness. Leland is on fire in this episode. <laughs> oh, my. First of all, like you said, he pops out from behind that room divider. His hair is stark white. Hair Both, white as a ghost. White as a and, ghost. <laughs> and let's not even, like, mention the fact that he somehow manages to startle Maddie and Sarah like they didn't know he was behind that room divider. That is directly behind them. <laughs> I don't understand. And honestly, I read the script for a few of, uh, uh, like, a few pieces of dialogue, and it says that he comes out from another room. I'm like, that's not how room dividers work, though. It's the no. same room. It's dividing the room. <laughs> Yeah, I need to talk to set production on this, okay? Because they're that there's just no way they would be that surprised that he's been crouching behind a room divider this whole time. But uh so weird. Yeah, like um Mersey Dotes and Dozy Dotes and Little Lamsy Divey. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, uh, dears. Oh my gosh. That was a beautiful uh, performance. Move over, Ray Wise. <laughs> I'm coming for your title, Ray. <laughs> but, you know, and like, honestly, I, let me tell you the most fascinating part of this scene to me was Sarah's hair. Now, I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Sarah's hair is what got you? I'm sorry. Listen, well, <laughs> it is a character all its own. Now, she had the, she has the, the typical, like, late 80s, early 90s, like, hair, you know, big T's perm. It, it, you saw Luminous. it in season one. But let me tell you something. It has grown about two sizes in season two. And every time she makes a face, it does a shift all its own. It's like its own character. Yes. It is like the hair is talking back to Leland like, you need to check yourself. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It Yeah, it has grown a little bit. It's got some extra frizz, some extra volume. Yeah. I mean, everyone's hair has kind of done a transition in this episode. Yeah, but I just was cracking up at the fact that every time, you know, I mean, I know that your hairline moves when you move your eyebrows, but this hairline really took a life of its own when she was moving her eyebrows at Leland. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he is just, he is too much. Like, his daughter died a week ago, and this is his attitude. Ugh, I, like, whatever. And then Maddie is kind of left alone in the room, and she sees what I think is blood, spreading across that spot in the carpet and she freaks the fuck out and I don't blame her because if I saw something whatever this is spreading out across the carpet I'd be like am I okay what's going on in my brain why did I see that and if it's reminding you of this dream that you had and I just gotta say Cheryl Lee is such a scream queen I mean Oh, she is so powerful in this moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is some more photos, like not Photoshop, but like clip art uh, that we, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because that just looked like someone took like a Coca-Cola and spilled it all over the rug. I mean, and you'll remember this. Some of our younger listeners will not remember what this is like, but in the old days on the internet when you were trying to load a picture and it would come in line by line by line and you would just be waiting for six minutes for one picture to load. That's what that was like. (laughs) Absolutely. You kids don't know what it used to be like, okay? (laughs) Just trying to look at Spice Girls pictures on the internet. Takes Hello. forever. I've just, just got yes. five foreheads staring at me. Wow. Five foreheads. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll head back to the Great Northern where the Brothers Horn discuss recent events. Ben wants an update on Catherine's whereabouts and wants to know why Leo isn't dead. But never fear, Jerry says, well begun is half done. 
Whatever, Jerry. What? I know. And see, now he's back to being his weird, quirky self. I don't know. Sure is. And then Leland arrives singing, and Ben and Jerry's reaction is one of the most fantastic things I've ever seen on television. They think about it for a second, and then they're like, yep, time to dance. Uh, okay, and that is some Charlie Brown like dancing if I've ever seen it in my life. Like some peanuts, Charlie Brown, Charleston, <laughs> like like just this the feet shuffle, the the body twist. And it's like, just what is with Jerry so when he gets it. onto the ground? He's like, ah. ne- like uh, Jerry gets down on the ground. Ben gets up on his desk. I don't know. It's like a whole thing. It's <laughs> it's, it's a so beautiful strange. number. It's a beautiful number. It is. It is. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry to tell you this, Leland, but I think that all of your dancing from season one just got up, you know, showed up by mm. this number right here. It looks like it needed to be a it needed to be a trio the whole time. That's true. He's found his people. Yeah. <laughs> they should absolutely put a show on at the Roadhouse. Wow. I would love it. Wow. <laughs> All right. So over to the Johnson house where Cooper and Harry are investigating the crime scene. Cooper, of course, understands the play-by-play right away and just pretty much recaps what happened with Bobby, Leo, and Hank. Hawk finds more copies of Flesh World and Leo's Duster, which smells like gasoline. Harry looks at Cooper and says, the mill. And I was like, da doy, Harry. The gorsh. Do you think it was the mill? Gorsh. And then Albert arrives. Andy is freaking out. Listen, I screamed you know oh I love God. him so he is the first troll to ever exist like now that we have internet <laughs> trolls you know what I mean like people that troll everybody on the internet Albert Rosenfield was the first troll to ever exist I in our lives I think you mean Agent Rosenflower I mean <laughs> let's not even get started on that because let me tell you I questioned his last name several times during this episode I was like have as I you refer- should for sure have I been yeah. referred to him to the wrong name this whole time the disrespect (laughs) he shows up nothing weird he just shows up like he's just they've seen him before but Andy is freaking out about it he runs to tell Harry and boom a board of wood to the face this reaction what is this man doing he's like duck walking like this side to side thing this goofy smile I I really feel for him he has got to have brain damage Okay, first of all, that was so over the top, and I loved every moment of it. But like you said, I mean, the way that his legs were bending, I was like, <laughs> "I did you get hit? Like, did your legs in get twisted around? Like, what happened? <laughs> what in the world?" But this is so to explain it in the words of Albert, it is another great moment in law enforcement history. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love Albert so much. I just write down all of his lines because. Every day I want to change my status on all social media platforms <laughs> is something that Albert has said. Oh, he's got some great one-liners. He really oh does. God. And the way Miguel Ferrer, I think, delivers yes. it is so deadpan and so perfect. Oh, he's he's amazing. He's amazing. Andy gets this board to the face. It's clearly just another one of Leo's unfinished projects. I mean, maybe if Leo paid more attention to all the renos he was doing on his house, <laughs> then the cops wouldn't have found his new shoes and his bag of cocaine. Actually, I did say new shoes, but are these the older ones that he was, like, fiddling with with that knife a few days ago? I think, 
Yeah, I okay. think so. Yeah, yeah. I think those were the ones that he was like, because I think he was trying to hide the drugs in them, right? Or something like. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe, I don't know. That was just what I, that was the conclusion I drew from him trying to take the soul off the shoe. Yeah, and, it's like he was yeah. trying to disguise it for whatever reason. Like if there was treadmark somewhere that would have outed him or yeah. something, but yeah. Okay, so still no word on whether or not Leo has new shoes, basically. No. <laughs> No word. We'll we'll keep we'll keep our eyes on it. <laughs> okay, well over to the double R diner where hot damn the pie is good. <laughs> I love it. I swear. These are the moments I was saying there's yeah. so much more humor in this one episode and I don't know. I just was giggling throughout a majority of it until we got to the end, but man, it was great. <laughs> Move over, Leland, because Donna also has a new look. Uh, her <laughs> hair has grown so much. Like, I don't even know how to, like, quantify this, but her hair is long now. Like, she had short hair for all of season one. It's been a mere number of hours, and she now has shoulder-length hair. Yeah, she's so taking that bio clearly happened overnight for everybody's hair. <laughs> Look at that Rogaine. <laughs> <laughs> It's just in the water. It's in the water, man. (laughs) Okay, so Donna is there to chat with Maddie. She gets Laura's sunglasses, and she puts them on, and it's like she's taking in the world all anew from behind them. Like, she's putting on this new identity. She is, like, becoming Laura almost. It's very interesting. Like, we linger on her wearing the glasses and looking around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was kind of, it was freaky because it was like, yeah. she was like channeling Laura, yes. you know, like becoming Laura or something. And I think she's doing that a lot this episode, or she's channeling her idea of what bad Laura might be. Right. They're coming to see this different side of Laura through the tapes that they've listened to. And yeah, it's like Donna's trying to take on this identity of who she thinks Laura really was or something. It's really interesting. Yeah. But Maddie is over her glasses, though, and I feel like she needs those to see. So I was confused <laughs> by that. But hey, I'm 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 all for all these new looks that everybody's trying to do in season two. I new mean, season, used, new look, who dis, you know? Hey, new who dis. Uh, it's funny because it's like usually we see someone put on glasses to change their persona, <laughs> but we see Maddie destroying hers to take out a new persona. <laughs> Oh, my God. I almost did a full spit take. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So Maddie's really worried that they're responsible for Jacoby being in the hospital. But Donna is playing it super cool. And she's all like, maybe the sun won't come up tomorrow if you wash your hair. Stay quiet, you bitch. It's paraphrasing, but that's essentially what she says to Maddie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a great paraphrase. I like it. And then Norma brings a letter for Donna that was mailed to the double R for reasons. It says, look into the meals on wheels. And then we just watch the log lady spit some gum. Listen to me. Listen to me. That she was, I have here Log Lady being the bad bitch she is and spitting. (laughs) She not only spit that gum out, but then she stuck it to the wall. She sure did. And then she took one sip and was like, I'm going to chew more gum. And that's right. And two snaps for the Log Lady. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Well, over to the sheriff's department uh, where Albert, who we find out has been ordered back by Gordon Cole, is dressing Cooper's wounds. And the two men argue again about his bad attitude towards Twin Peaks. (laughs) Andy arrives and uh, they check in on his nose, but only blood squirted out. So it's good news for Andy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he has done some good work here. He's figured out one of the giant's clues, which was that Leo was locked in a jail in Hungry Horse, Montana. And this actually leads to a huge break. Again, like again, this is Andy's second break in the case this this episode, but they find out that it was the same night that Teresa Banks was murdered, so Leo can't be responsible for that. So, I mean, it's great work for Andy today. I know. Way to go, Andy. I knew you had it in you. Albert doesn't really think that he has it in him, but I love Cooper's like reassuring look towards Andy that felt very, very touching. It was yeah. very sweet. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Gerard arrives to sell Harry some shoes, and even Lucy thinks there's something weird about this. So if Lucy yeah. thinks there's something weird about it, there's definitely something weird about it. Yeah. Elsewhere, Harry is listening to the tape that James found, who, contrary to what Donna thinks, isn't staying silent about what they did last night, although he is leaving Maddie and Donna out of it. I actually don't mind James in this scene. And it's not so much the acting, it's just, like, what he's doing. Like, I'm glad that he is communicating with Harry. It's cool that he's leaving the ladies out of it. And he genuinely seems to have some good insight here. He also talks about that weird thing that Laura said of like, do you want to play with fire, little boy? Do you want to play with Bob? I think it's so funny when he repeats it. Do you want to play with Bob? It's really weird. Okay, so this is my second point out of a loop, quote unquote loop, is because he says, would you like to play with Bob twice? As if that needed emphasis. Like, it's already so strange. Right. Like, would you like to play with Bob? And then blank. I'm sorry. Yes, James is great in this scene, but blank face. And then would you like to play with Bob? Yes. The thing is, it's not so much the acting. I'm really sorry, James Marshall. It's not. But it's the dialogue and it's the choices that the uh, the character is making. Yeah, absolutely. I'm finally on board with something that he's doing. This feels like (laughs) the right approach. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, so then Cooper Cooper arrives and he just knows that James has the necklace, um, which he does, and he gives it, and James gives it to Cooper. But he is surprised to learn that Jacoby had it because he's like, "Oh, I never, I never thought he would be part of this." And I, I love that Coop can still get surprised, you know? Right, right. So then new Donna arrives <laughs> to visit James, and we get one of the best exchanges in all of Twin Peaks history. This was something that we really narrowed in on last year when we were first talking about it, even though we weren't going episode by episode, but we did a whole thing. We did like a whole intro of us doing this little uh, interaction because it is so fan. It's so ridiculous. Nobody would ever say this. And I don't know how the actors did it without just cracking up every single time. It's so silly. And of course, I'm talking about, hey, when did you start smoking? I smoke every once in a while. Helps relieve tension. When did you get so tense? When I started smoking. <laughs> That's me blowing some smoke out. <laughs> oh my God. It's 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 perfect. It's perfect. It's the only time I think I will ever say James and Donna are perfect. Absolutely. 100%. I love like, the work they do here. 
this lives rent free in my head. Like you have no idea how many times a day I sit here and think helps relieve tension. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if you noticed this. She asks how he's doing and he like flicks his head back really weirdly to say to like to to almost nod and say he's okay. But it's like a weird flick back. And I I don't know. It's just maybe it was just what James Marshall was doing. Maybe it was a direction from David Lynch, but it felt very strange. Yeah, it did. It did. I picked up on that. Uh, And then Donna flicks a full cigarette out into the cells, whatever. Uh, And then they kiss right after. And she says, what's wrong? And I'm surprised James didn't say your breath, dummy. Like, you just blew out that smoke. (laughs) Do you know what? This is what the first thing that pops into my mind was... She tasted like cigarettes, like Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, how could you not? She literally just blew smoke out and then was oh. like, let's kiss. <laughs> let's get it on. <laughs> uh, and then, I mean, it's so, it, it's like, it's a little disappointing because they go from this fantastic exchange about smoking into finger biting and get out soon, James. And I swear this is just her taking on this persona of who she thinks Laura would be. Like, she's like, is is it wrong that I want you? And I, I, yeah, I feel like she's just trying to embody this idea that she has of who Laura was. Yeah, for sure. I just wrote Barfarama because the sucking, yes. biting fingers, yes. I was like, oh my God. Especially it's better than in toes, co- but. Well, true. But I was like, this is, we're living in COVID times right now. Do you know how much I cringed at that? I was like, oh, did you put hand sanitizer on? Did you wash your hands no, for 20 he's seconds? He's touching those bars. <laughs> he's touching those prison oh, bars. Come on. So gross. <laughs> Well, then we'll head back upstairs where Cooper is getting Lucy and Andy to look through the back issues of Flesh World to find to see if they can find Teresa Banks and probably also to get these two back in each other's good books, I would assume. So now we're over. We're back at the hospital uh, where Jacoby is feeling a little out of it more than before, I guess. And it might be the hospital food. Oh, God, that looks it looks what the worse fuck than is this. <laughs> it looks worse than baby food. Like it looks worse than like oh the texture. It, yes, the, and it's everything. this weird puree, and it's the weird colors. I mean, like what is this? That's why I, I came up with the title "Attack of the Killer Hospital Food" because it just reminds me of like those old school horror movies with like a blob and like just weird shit like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's so gross. Like I don't even. Yeah, my stomach turned looking at it. I was like, this is just disgusting. Well, and we're going to come to learn that it has quite a smell to it as well. I mean, it's just so, it's so bizarre. I mean, I love it, but it's just hella bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. Cooper and Harry arrive. Cooper doesn't want any baloney, magic tricks, or psychological mumbo jumbo from Jacoby. And Jacoby actually comes clean about the necklace. You know, he talks about how he was following Leo, but lost track of him and... Then he followed James and Donna, saw them bury the necklace, and then they decide and then he decided to keep the necklace as a keepsake. And then he starts talking about I love how he leads into it by talking about like saying sort of Laura was the necklace in a way, living this double life, this I can't remember what he says, but like the separated heart, the severed heart, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. And that the the last visit they had. In the last visit they had, she had kind of reached this sort of peace with herself, and he sees it as a decision to end her life. Uh, My issue here is that he has just stolen this information from Bobby when they had their little meeting back in Cooper's dreams. 
Yeah. <laughs> it sounded pretty so, familiar to me. Can yeah. we credit Bobby, please? And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. All right. But this is another garsh moment from Harry because he's like, do you think Laura wanted to die? He's like turning into Andy minute by minute here. <laughs> no, bless it. <laughs> oh. Cooper says, you know, Laura didn't commit suicide, but Jacoby makes the distinction like, no, but maybe she allowed herself to be killed. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm like, what does this mean about Laura? And I think we started to question that in Cooper's dreams when Bobby said, you know, she wanted to die. And as we move through season one, learning all of these bits and details and and tidbits about Laura, it's just like, this is another layer of like, why had she come to this piece? Why had she made this decision? And we know she didn't commit suicide. So why, what was it about the situation that she was in that she would allow herself to be killed? It's so right. intriguing. It's very dark, but it's so intriguing. Absolutely. Yes. They also talk about the previous night uh, because Jacoby was right next to Jacques when he was strangled. He doesn't remember anything except for the smell of scorched engine oil. <laughs> I really liked uh, Russ Tamblin in this scene, like the little tears that were forming in his eyes mm-hmm. and just the way he was talking about Laura. I found him. This was the first time I was like, I really like Jacoby. This was very yeah. compelling. And I think a lot of what we get from Jacoby out of like this in the future is probably why I love him so much. Because like when you really watch season one, like you don't develop that. I think that kind of love for him, but it it starts to come into its own. Like the longer you he's on screen, the more, you know, the more you get to know him and everything. So but this is like one of the moments that really made me be like, OK, I he's just yeah, he's just one of my favorite characters. Well, guys. I know where we're going. Okay. (laughs) So then Bobby visits Shelly and it's for sure the sweetest thing ever when they do their special little hair tug greeting. Oh my God. (laughs) It's too cute for words. It's too cute for words. These two have such a great chemistry. Like, I don't know what their relationship was before the show. And obviously they'd worked together all on season one. So maybe they'd become close you know, during that filming and and in between seasons. But I wouldn't be surprised if you told me that they knew each other for years before Twin Peaks because they just have such a good back and forth between them already. Like, I really buy that little hair tug thing. It's so fucking yeah. adorable. It's, it's it just was. It's so sweet. It was. <laughs> but, you know, before he before he wakes up Shelly to say hello, he takes a look at the hospital food and just, like, pushes it aside. So that's our second <laughs> sort of nod towards the hospital food. I just want to keep track of that as we move through. But then Bobby plays doctor, and I'm like, Bobby, you could be my doctor. <laughs> come, okay. come on. I'm sick. I'm not feeling well, Dana Ashbrook. Come over. <laughs> oh, really? I really? I put just a regular old titty grab in the hospital. Like, you know, you know? sometimes you need that. <laughs> that. Never mind the fact that she's on oxygen for a smoke inhalation. It's let fine. me get the third. <laughs> let me get the second base real quick. <laughs> but she's into it. I oh, actually I like I remembered this scene being a lot more uncomfortable, but I think it's what's coming up because I couldn't remember if Shelly was like, no, you got to get out of here. Like, don't do that while we're here. But she's loving it. She's super yeah. into Bobby playing doctor. So I'm Absolutely. here for it. <laughs> Dr. Bobby. But then, yeah, this is where things, uh, I don't know. Let's break it down. Because Shelly says, I love you. Mm-hmm. 
And Bobby has to kind of not, I don't know, like, I feel like he is coming to this conclusion in the moment because he's saying, yeah, I guess, I guess I love you too. And at first it feels like a very teenage boy, like, oh, I love cake or like, thanks for saying that. But the way he like backs up and is backing out of the room and is still thinking about it, like I genuinely think in this moment he is coming to this conclusion. Yeah, I agree with that. I, yeah, I do. So like, if if it, nothing else, tell, he's being honest. Yeah, like you could tell in his face that he was like, huh, I guess I never really thought about it. But yeah, I love you too. You Which know? is fair because his girlfriend that most people knew about just died a week ago. Right. And I tend to think that Bobby and Laura did actually have some kind of love for each other. And so, yeah, I mean, Shelly has just kind of been the side girl. But yeah this situation where she almost died and he almost died has kind of changed things. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. It is sweet. Bobby's the sweetest, you guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Such a fucking nerd for Bobby. <sighs> okay, well, this is where I did write down other, like, I'm still calling them loops. And it's just Ooh, repeated yeah. lines because he says, uh, I guess I love you too. He says that more than once, yep. you know? And it's just like, I don't know. There, it was just so blatantly out there. There were repeated lines throughout this whole episode that I just was like, okay, why are we just getting the same things repeated? I mean, and I guess, you know, for this one, I can maybe see where, you know, you say it and then you get a reaction from someone and then maybe you think about it a little bit more and then you're like, yeah, you know what? I guess I do love you. But it, but it was said the exact same way, you yes. know, with the same everything. And I just was like, well, and within the context of it happening with other characters and other moments, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to discount that being a part of it. And right. I'm also thinking that, like, we get so many nods to the hospital food being toxic or the fact that it can kill you, but yet no, like, that doesn't go anywhere. It just, like, it's just these ideas that, yeah, the hospital food is trash, but that also feels a little, like, looping in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the hallways, Coop and the gang see Bobby leaving, and then they run into Ed, who's there watching over Nadine. And then Ed shares basically he and Nadine's backstory with Cooper while Harry and Albert go for coffee two feet away. Okay. First of all, <laughs> Harry says, let me buy you a coffee. You didn't pay for that coffee. It was literally right across the hall. It was literally directly in front of it you. It was That's two number feet one. away. You walked two feet away, and you poured some fucking coffee. All you did was turn around and you poured the coffee. That's it. So you didn't buy any. Okay. And it's, it's so just, weird. <laughs> it is so crazy because it's like you, everything that Ed is saying in this moment to me is really touching because, well, obviously you get the backstory on him and Norma, you know, they had dated for four years and then she kind of like ran off with Hank or whatever. And so then he took up with Nadine, but he knew that Nadine, like, oh my God, like I could just go. You know I love Nate Nadine, okay? And so this just further made me have so many feelings for her. You know, just like she loves Ed so much and she's always been like a wallflower, right? And then like Ed took interest in her and then this changed her life and oh my gosh. And so, but the the cuts in between Ed being so sincere with Coop <laughs> and then Albert literally being <laughs> right in front of him like, crying tears of laughter that he has to get a hanky out. I 
almost died. <laughs> I mean, it, it made it very difficult for me to really like get into where I wanted to cry moment over what was happening with Ed because Albert was like, laughing in his face. Oh my and God. And it's so funny how, I mean, that, yeah, it's not like we just cut away to that at the end. Like the Albert stuff is interspersed with this story so and I mean it is further emphasizing just kind of how cold I think Albert kind of is right now or just you know he's on his own wavelength but it's a choice from the show to shift the tone like that so exactly yeah yeah Yeah. oh man but yeah am I to understand that Ed and Nadine got married like the night that he first said hello to her yeah that okay so that was my next thing I was like okay so He said, and there was Nadine, and we drove, we ended up in Montana, we saw the Justice of Peace, and then we went to, you know, on the honeymoon, and he shot her eye out. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, know, I shot Nadine's eye out that uh, weekend. Yeah, that weekend. It's just like, oh, and that's when Albert, like, actually took the hanky out and started wiping his eyes, because he's like, I cannot believe this man is telling me that he shot this woman's eye out. Okay, so, yeah, like... She just happened to be, I guess, at the right place at the right time. He was heartbroken and he had known who she was because they, you know, they went to school together or whatever. And he just took up with her. But another thing that keeps popping up and again, this might be me reaching, but it is Montana. Okay, you got a character. You've got a character named Montana on Invitation to Love. Leah was locked up in Montana and then. Ed and Nadine got married in Montana. And I know that Montana's near, you know, watch, but it's just like this just comes up so often. I so. love that. I was very observant this time around. In case yes. <laughs> yeah, they went to this place for a honeymoon and basically they were hunting and some like some uh bullets, like some piece of the bullet kind of ricocheted off a rock, hit Nadine in the eye, and the most most compelling part of the story and yet also like the saddest part of the story and also weirdly heartwarming is just the idea that Nadine she didn't get upset she didn't cry she didn't blame Ed and to me that really says that like their entire marriage is based on guilt like there is even if he loves her now it was from a foundation of guilt (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean well yeah I mean it's Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I did like it really got me in the feels when he was like, she just laid in his lap while he drove her to the hospital. And I just got that image of like, you know, her just him trying to comfort her. Yeah, like him trying to comfort her, but her being completely like silent and still almost, you know, like having no reaction to just having her eye shot out. Because I'm here to tell you right now, if Scott shot my eye out, (laughs) I would not just be laying in his lap while he like, takes the me to the hospital. for me. You've done enough. Call the ambulance. <laughs> but that just, oh, you know, but that you're right. Like that just speaks to this, this whole, per, to Nadine. I just, I don't know how to put it into words. I love her so much. And I mean, maybe she was just in shock in the moment. I mean, she True. has just had a piece of bullet fly into her face. But like, is she... Is she having an experience in this moment that is occupying her brain and that will then lead her to an obsession with drapes? Very well could be. 
I don't know. I kind of think something similar happened here. Uh, I remember when I was talking about the idea that the log lady, I mean, she got married, but she was never really in a marriage. So she was kind of in that in-between space. It feels like that happened with their marriage as well, and especially with Nadine and whatever was happening to her while she was dealing with this major injury kind of left her in that stasis, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, And for some reason, they let James out of jail to visit Ed. I mean, I guess that's a nice thing to do. That feels like a small town thing to do. But yeah, so James arrives. And uh, so Coop and the gang kind of head out. Cooper sees a smiling bag. Yes. And then we just get this little moment of a doctor scolding a nurse being like, I'm serious, nurse. You need to talk to the kitchen. Absolutely. (laughs) So clearly they know something up. Something is up with the hospital food. Uh, And speaking of which, we get another really bizarre shot of this grotesque hospital food, which is sitting in front of Pete Martell. And he takes a good whiff of it and is just absolutely disgusted. He is (laughs) blown straight out of the way. (laughs) I was straight out of the way, man. So Norma is finishing up a visit with Shelly and just more talk about the bad hospital food. And because of that, she promises to bring Shelly two whole pies. Norma walks by Nadine's room and sees Ed, and it's just it's just a little sad moment. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. So then we'll head over to the double R for one of the most wholesome oh. and heartwarming scenes in Twin Peaks history. I gotta say, Bobby's Bobby's involved in a lot of great scenes in this episode. Yeah, um, absolutely. This was my favorite, absolute favorite part of the of the episode. I oh gosh, I cried big tears it's during a this. Gorgeous, gorgeous <sighs> scene. God. Major Briggs shares this vision that he had. Um, he shares it with Bobby. And, you know, he says it, it was not a dream. That's just where the brain is cataloging the day's events. But a vision, this is something clear, the mind revealing itself to itself, which is just, oh, I I go nuts for that shit. That was amazing uh. to me. Um, but in the vision, Major Briggs returns to what sounds like was his childhood home, but a little different. It's a very pleasant setting. And then Bobby arrives and is described as joyous and carefree, living a life of deep harmony. And then they shared a warm and loving embrace. When Briggs woke up, he felt a tremendous sense of optimism and confidence for his son and his future. And he wishes Bobby nothing but the best. Like Dana Ashbrook in this scene is phenomenal to me because Bobby's attitude shifts so much. Like he goes from kind of like mild annoyance to slight intrigue to fully like a tear rolls down his face. And he is just like so, I don't know, like I don't know that his father and he and him have ever connected in this way. Like I think that he's feeling like a genuine love from his parent that I don't know that he's ever really felt before. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can tell that from their interactions like before Lars' funeral and then yeah. also like at Jacoby's office. There was just always this dis- this disconnect between Bobby and his dad. And then this moment happens and it's just like this light bulb goes off, you know, and I literally hung on to every single word yeah. that Major Briggs had to say. And it resonated and it just, I mean, I, I'm not, it really actually made me cry. And then to see Bobby's oh, yeah. wholesome, you know, reaction, because it's almost like, 
you know, this realization went off for him where he's like, you know, I don't have to be this way because my dad actually like has these visions of me being successful in life and having, you know, great moments ahead of me and I can be the best that I can be. Oh my gosh. I just, uh, it, it just gets you in the feels so much. And oh. the music is so uplifting yeah. and heartwarming. It's just, I don't know. And it's just a really nice way to kick off the season for those two, because we've seen such awkward conversations between them before. And I think that this just really pivots everything. And it's absolutely, I mean, Major Briggs is still talking in that Major Briggs way, but yeah, I just think it gives Bobby such a different perspective on what's possible. Yeah, for sure. I just wrote next that Hank ruins the moment with his, (laughs) with his bullshit with Norma. (laughs) He does ruin the moment. He even ruins the moment as Major Briggs is leaving. Even just asking him how the pie was and then doing the salute. I was like, fuck off. I hate him. Get out of here. But I I love how when Norma arrives, she's like, I can't talk right now. And just like shrugs him off. Like great response, first of all. And then like Hank and Leo share, or sorry, Hank and Bobby share that sort of like women, am I right? Shrug, which Bobby is just sort of like doing just because. Uh, But in that moment, he realizes that Hank was the one that shot Leo. And I guess maybe he had forgotten over the past five hours or something, or he just (laughs) didn't know. Maybe he didn't know who Hank really was before, because I guess depending. Well, no, Hank was only in jail 18 months. So it's not like he went away when Bobby was like a kid or something. But um, yeah, anyways, point is he's putting two and two together. He realizes that that's who shot Leo. All right, so over to the sheriff's department where Cooper lays out all the pertinent details about the night of Laura's murder. And as he does, the camera pans along the donuts and then eventually to the coffee, you know, all the while fading into shots of trees, a red traffic light, the train car, and that nasty scene with the fingernails. And I'm like, coffee and donuts equals intellect. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is what fuels... Coop in the gang. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I agree. <laughs> it's so funny to me that it's it's crazy these are the that shots it's coffee that are and mingling. donuts. Like, yeah. Well, it's funny because it's that old trope about law enforcement anyway that they're like always drinking coffee and yes. eating donuts, and it's like you know flipped on its head in a way. Exactly. I love it. Yeah, but I mean, the shot in general is just beautiful. I loved watching all of these items kind of mingle together because in a way it was also just like Twin Peaks iconography. Trees, donuts, coffee, the red uh, traffic light. I mean, maybe not the fingernails. Could have done without the fingernails, but. Yeah, yeah. And then Andy is crying again, and Albert, of course, has a comment about it. But Andy does not take his shit. And he tells him to (laughs) shut his mouth. He gets his name wrong again, which is perfect. That's like a real petty way (laughs) to deal with somebody who's just (laughs) pissed you off. Absolutely. (laughs) But. What's even better is that, like, Lucy is into it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just like when she found out that, you know, he shot um, he shot yes. Jock, you yes. know, last season, where she's like, oh, Andy, Deputy Brennan, you Ooh. really let that man have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even Harry has, like, a little smile on his face. You know, he's proud of Andy for standing up for himself and for him kind of, too. Yeah. And uh, but Albert is pretty much just unbothered. Doesn't seem to make much of a dent. Yeah. I did want to comment that when they were talking about the note that was left behind and the blood being on the note that didn't match uh, Laura, Ronette, Jacques, or Leo, except it is Jacques' blood type. 
Right. Yeah. So, well, I wrote that down too. I was like, wait a minute. I mean, it's got to be a continuity thing. Which yeah. Sucks, it ha- but- which is weird. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and yeah, I noted here that I think it was Loon Call, Loon Call Music in our season one recap that gave us feedback about how when David Lynch directs uh, Kyle MacLachlan, Cooper feels a little bit colder and more serious. And I definitely feel that in this episode, particularly in this scene. And I mean, okay, he's just been shot. And the case is kind of like, I mean, they just lost a key witness, another key or not a key suspect, I should say. Mm -hmm. Another key suspect has been shot. So like things are getting very serious and I don't put it past Cooper to be very serious when the moment calls for it. But I did feel a colder energy from him. Yeah, I saw it for sure. All right. So we'll head over to the Blue Pine Lodge. Pete arrives home. Harry has driven him home and They read a note from Josie that says she left for emergency business in Seattle, which apparently she does every three months or so. So I guess her and Harry haven't been dating for that long. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like Harry was very surprised by that. So I was like, wait a minute. I thought that they had been together for a while, like in secret. Like it just I just got that feeling from last season, but apparently not. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wrote, bitches be shopping, because... Oh, my God. I I literally wrote, leave it to Pete to say a secret vice is women in their shopping. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And then Harry still has that look on his face like, huh? Like, (laughs) women shopping? I'm like, Harry, what Okay, it's only been... Like, I'm still estimating four hours since the end of last season. Did you lose all your brain cells? He just hasn't had a good sleep yet, I don't think. That's true. He's running on empty. (laughs) But yeah, so then they transition into a conversation about Catherine and Harry's just kind of like, you know, you should probably prepare for the worst. And I love what Pete says here about how she was hell to live with, but there was once a little bit of heaven. I thought that was a nice piece of dialogue. Me too. Oh. And then someone calls looking for Josie, and we sort of transition over to the Great Northern, and we see that that person uh, is also about to make or makes a call to Hong Kong. And I think it's supposed to be the person who checked into the hotel back in realization time. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. So then Jerry and Ben get off the elevator and Jerry is talking about food. He gives us this like lengthy description about something he ate, even though he didn't know what it was, which is very (laughs) on brand for Jerry Horn. (laughs) Absolutely. And then they find that Hank is waiting in Ben's office. He says that Josie put some distance between herself and the smell of smoke. I loved that line. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, they want to know why Leo isn't dead. Hank explains that he couldn't go inside because things were, like, a little hot in Leo's neighborhood. There were a lot of police cruisers around. and uh, But he doesn't think that he was seen by anyone. And I'm sure you're going to bring this up for the looping, right? Chopping wood inside? Yeah, you know Leo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, I had had it here. It's like, uh, uh, yeah, it was so, yeah. You knew I was to me, say it, so. Yeah, so to me, what I wrote down, it was like, it was as though they were given a direction to say the line louder. All that changed was the volume. Right. Their inflection, right. Um, the everything else about it stayed the same, except they did it louder. And it was as though, mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like I'm reliving, like, 
drama class and drama camp where I'm just given a direction to say it louder, but the scene keeps going. And it's just like that first take wasn't cut. (laughs) Yeah. It's so bizarre. It's just bizarre to me. Yeah, but that's another great loop. And so they're all sure that Catherine has probably died in the mill fire. uh, And they're hoping that, you know, it'll be Catherine and and Leo that are fingered. That's a weird way to say that. Wait a minute. I was, like, it was coming into my brain and I was like, no, this is, I mean, people say this, but that's not right. Yeah. That can't be right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my God. They're hoping that they will be. The blame will be put on them. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> if what you a- don't want to get fingered, just get the blame put on you. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, I love a little blame put on me in the morning. Um. So the way that Jerry is circling Hank during this whole thing, like he's circling his prey. It's so funny. Exactly. It reminded me of like a buzzard, like circling yes, like a yes. dead animal <laughs> in the road, like a like a carcass. I was like, what it's, is he like, doing? Except then like Jerry tries to be the tough guy about it, <laughs> but immediately gets gripped up by Hank. And they have this like very tiny scuffle where Hank is the clear winner. And I guess if the horns didn't have the money... Probably Jerry would have gotten a lot more, you know, he would have been roughed up a little bit more. And then Hank just laughs, but it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. And listen, I... I just kept thinking to myself, Jerry, like, don't even try it. Like, it's like Napoleon syndrome. Like, he's so much (laughs) smaller than Hank, where I was like, do you not see the size of the man that you're trying to, like, size up right now? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's so true. And it is that exact thing because Jerry knows he has the money in his back pocket. Yeah, And that's what keeps him safe. He has the power, right? So, Yeah. All right, oh so gosh. we'll go over to One-Eyed Jacks. Shit is getting very serious for Audrey. She is definitely not in control of this situation anymore. Uh, Blackie is not impressed with how she treated the owner, and she's like, you know, when you work for me, everyone is your type. It was so weird and uncomfortable. Everything about One-Eyed Jacks just gives me the creeps. It really does. All right, so we'll go over to the Hayward house where we see that Donna has made arrangements with Norma to take over Laura's Meals on Wheels route. And I just wonder who's been feeding these poor people over this last week? (laughs) Has no one else taken over? (laughs) These people are famished. (laughs) They are starving. Back to the Meals on Wheels and Gersten. Yes, back to the Hayward house. Well, (laughs) the Palmers are over for dinner and Gersten Hayward the newest sister on the scene in the Hayward house is the MC for the evening. And she's, she's just like bragging about her good grades and introduces her sister Harriet to read a poem. And honestly, I think this whole thing is just fuel to the fire for Leland. Like this is just encouragement for him to do more showboating. So I blame Mm -hmm. them, honestly. Yeah. It's all Gersten's fault. (sighs) Fucking Gersten. I know. And I'm sorry. Did they mean to put a K and make it Kirsten? I, Ah! I still, to this day, do not understand that name, okay? I it's an error on the it. birth certificate. Somehow <laughs> that K ended up looking like a G, and that poor girl. And the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, so she introduces Harriet, who we have met before, and she's, you know, she's a she's a big-time poet. She reads this poem, which is both really beautiful and uncomfortable. Like, the way that Harriet reads it mixes those two things like she's she's sort of doing this weird smile but it's got a lot of like there is a sadness to her tone in a way the actress does a really good job with that 
it's awkward and uncomfortable to see the way that Leland is getting some joy from this while Sarah, while it really seems to be like painful for Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my the the one haunting line from that poem for me was the woods was our sadness. Oh, yeah. And knowing that what happened to Laura. OK, th- this is where my mind started kind of going down this like weird path because I was like, OK. Did Harriet know about what Laura's quote unquote secret life was because for her to write a poem like that, knowing that Laura, her demise was in the woods, but she was also doing a lot of secretive things in the woods. I mean, we know all this from season one, right? Like the train car, all of that is like, you know, out there, the cabin, all of it. It just really made me think like, okay, uh, like, was it that big of a secret? I don't know. Just that I just went down this weird yeah. like rabbit hole in my mind of just that one phrase of the woods was our sadness. But our seems like it implies not just Laura, but everyone. Yeah. You know what I the mean? Town. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So beautiful, but uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is pretty much Twin Peaks in a nutshell. Uh, and then, yeah, Gersten plays some piano. And during dinner, they chat about recent events, and the doctor wants to know, you know, as your doctor, Leland, what's going on with your hair? And Leland's just like, listen, I woke up like this, okay? I woke up like this. (laughs) I woke up like this. (laughs) And he says, like, I woke up and I saw it, and a great sadness has been lifted, and I just have in caps lock, your daughter died a week ago, you fucking monster. Absolutely. Okay, you know what? The whole time I was thinking, like, all of this, this this journey that we've been on with Leland, and we've talked about this really in depth. You know, you you feel bad for him. He's emotional. He's sad. He's grieving the loss of his daughter. Then it's sinister towards the end of season one with what happens with Jacques. And then you get this whole other facet of Leland where it's like all of a sudden he's happy because he's killed someone almost like that's almost like it's a weird like thing in my mind where it's like, okay, so he killed Jacques to get, you know, some type of revenge for what happened with Laura. But that whole situation is very weird. And then all of a sudden we see this very, and it's not even the old Leland, like pre-Laura's death. Like the the Leland in the very beginning of the pilot was not even acting like this. You know, so, oh, it is just, it's, Leland is, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. Clearly, he's still going through it. And this, like, to me, this is just all trauma response. Mm -hmm. But it feels so extra. It's like, you're not, you're not somebody that was just broken up with and you just need a new look to move on. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You can't dye your hair or have it dyed for you by mysterious circumstances and then wake up and be fine that your daughter died. This is not a real thing. So odd. But then he decides, like, what else would make this night great? Why don't I sing? Come on, everybody, get happy. But yeah, so he is just singing and he starts singing faster and faster and then he passes out. Uh, (laughs) But he feels okay and he just says, begin the begin. I wrote in my notes, Sarah is so over his shit. Like, she is like... As if it wasn't plain before, it is super obvious now where she is just like, all right, like, get this guy out of my life. Oh, my. Like, it's just too much. (laughs) Oh, Leland. Oh, my goodness. I said he faints probably from singing so much. (laughs) (laughs) I think he just 
just did it because he's a drama queen. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll head over to the Great Northern where Cooper is settling in for the night and has another chat with Diane. He is dog tired. He hasn't slept, or it's been too long since he's really had a good night's sleep. He believes the giant to be unreal, sort of a figment that happened the previous night when he, I think he says, I got so silly last night or something like that. Meanwhile, we see that over at One-Eyed Jacks, Audrey is praying to her special agent, wondering if he got her note, which we now see is under Coop's bed somehow. It was on the dresser by the phone, I believe, but yeah. under the bed now. Um, she's in over her head, but she can handle it. She knows that helping with cases is going to put her in dangerous situations, but she could use a little guidance on her first time out. <laughs> I cannot with Audrey in this moment. Uh, me either. This I'm... really fucking annoyed me. And I'm like, I, you're going to have to do some work to get back in my good books because this was yeah. so dumb. This was too much. I wrote, Audrey, you're doing too much. Like too you do, You're much. doing too much. Like I just, I can't. I can't with you. Pray into this man. And I mean, like, I get it. You're scared. Like, but all of the stuff, if I want to do you proud and I want to. You know, I hope you won't think like, less of me for I trying know. to help you. Oh. It's like the the dialogue was really weird. Her motive. Like, OK, I was trying to put myself in her shoes. She's gotten caught up at a brothel that her father owns. And Laura Palmer worked here probably. And she died. And now she's getting roughed up. She's probably feeling very vulnerable and scared. But like why are you there and why are you doing this in the first place? And I kind of have to go back to the scene where Cooper referred to them as friends and put them on that equal level as friends. And I'm like, Cooper, this is kind of your fault. Like, yeah, I agree. But yeah, she's she's a high school kid. This is ludicrous. And it's just it's just too pouty for Audrey. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway. So then back in Cooper's room, the giant reappears. He forgot something. It happens, you know. He's got to come back and finish the message. But he says, don't search for all the answers at once. A path is formed by laying one stone at a time. And then he has kind of three more things to tell Cooper, like another three clues, basically. So one person saw the third man. Three have seen him, but not his body. One only known to you, ready now to talk. Ugh. And then he's like, now you forgot something. And Cooper's like, what's that? And the giant's like, glowing orb <laughs> into your yeah! face. <laughs> yes. I said gold ball into your face, Cooper. <laughs> yes. Gold ball to the face. <laughs> oh, So man. this is the part where I'm like, okay, I think I know the one person that saw the third man. I think yeah. I know. But I'm confused uh, by the part about three have seen him, but not his body. So this is the part where I'm like, I'm very intrigued to watch again and see how it all unfolds. Okay. Yeah. I Okay. I have thoughts about what three have seen him, but not his body means. But I think I know what it's in reference to, but I'm not sure how it works out, if that makes sense. Yes. I think that's where I'm at, too. Where, like, right. big picture, I get it. But then, uh-huh. like, connecting the dots is right, where I'm a exactly. little lost. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we're heading back to the hospital. This is so creepy and so oh. well done. I love this whole sequence. It's fantastic. Just, like, the tracking shot down the empty hallway and the lights are flickering and the music is really dark. I mean, I don't even know if it's music, but just, like, the soundscape is so dark and ominous. 
it's amazing. And then we go to Ronette's room and her arms just start to raise up as she's still sleeping. And I think that she is having a nightmare. Like, I think that what we see is in her conscious subconscious, I guess I should say. Um, but we see uh, the train car. We see Bob. We see Laura. We see Bob sort of running and screaming towards the camera. I'm not sure maybe towards who, but then we're in the train car and Laura is screaming with like blood all over her teeth. And then Bob is just like beating who we assume to be Laura, right? Like just smashing his fists down on this poor girl. Laura lays dead. And then Bob lets out this like demonic laugh scream kind of thing. And it is chilling. And I mean, all the while, Ronette is understandably freaking the fuck out. And I just wrote down, wow, Bob, wow. Because this ending. Woo. Wow, Bob, wow. You know what? 100%. All so day freaky. long. Oh, my gosh. I was so, I was so scared. And like, and that's why I thought, like, I, that's why I thought this was in Firewalk with me because Firewalk with me scares me so, so much. Scary, yeah. And so to have this at, in the opening of season two, like I can't imagine what people were thinking when they saw this. You know, like oh, uh, it was just like right now I have chilly bumps. Like yeah. even just reimagine, like thinking about it again, I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's, it was terrifying. I mean, it's it all of the terrifying. elements together, like Ronette freaking out the the music or the sounds and the weird lighting of everything. But Frank Silva. Yeah. And his face. Uh-huh. Is so creepy. <laughs> Absolutely. He's just so perfect for that role. Yeah. But this is wild. I mean, like, yeah, so we start off the episode with this like kind of frustrating waiter that's moving at a super slow pace. And then we end with a scene that, like I said, seemingly tells us who has killed Laura Palmer. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This. Oh, it's just nuts. It's nuts. It really is. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, that's it for the episode. Of course, we're going to have a spoiler section. Um, but if you're not coming with us, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Mersey doots and dozy doots and little lambsy ivy. Maybe you'll hear that before you cut the silence out. (laughs) All right. We're back in the spoiler section. What do you got this week, Melz? Well, it was so hard for me not to really go into what I wanted to go into with like looping and what is time. And especially when we get, you know, into the return where time is this like infinite loop and everything happens, you know, uh, alternate timelines and everything like that. And I know I touched on, you know, this is when I started to wonder, like, are there more than one timelines going on or something else going on in Twin Peaks? But I just, and I blocked, I hate to say it, but I blocked so much of season two out of my mind (laughs) by the time I got to the return. I mean, not by not meaning to, but just because the return is so fantastic, you know? So it's like a lot of that stuff was lost on me when I got into the return, but I just, I'm so glad that I actually like realized it. I don't think I would have realized it if we hadn't been through the return already, you know, like it's, it's cause it can be also seen as like we talked about, you know, in, in the recap there, just 
raise your volume a little bit or, oh, I Mm -hmm. guess I do love you, you know, but I, when it comes to Twin Peaks, it just feels like it's this weird glitch or this weird loop of like something happening over, you know, and over again. And I even almost got, even though it wasn't a backwards glitch like we see in the return, but even with that weird head movement with James. Thank you. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, I, we were like, we kind of looked at each other and I was like, I guess we can't really say more yeah. here, but that felt backwards <laughs> to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it was as prominent as what we, what we see in the return, but I think that it was the first hints of like, okay, there's, you know, there's, I agree. Glitch in the Matrix. I don't know. I don't know how yeah. to explain it, you know? And then also in the return, so much of it takes place in Montana, mm-hmm. you know? And again, I know it's geographically close, but it just... But still, why the character name Montana? Exactly. Like, it just keeps coming up, you yeah. know? Especially when you get to the return and you've got a whole new set- setting in Vegas. You know yes. what I mean? Like, yeah. so there for there to be all of this happening in Montana, it just feels like that's somehow connected to... Um, to Twin Peaks, like, magically or whatever. Mm-hmm. Also, I find it hilarious because we talked about um, Wyndham being in the horse costume. <laughs> so when I heard the clue again about <laughs> Leo and the hungry horse, I was like, oh, my God, Leo was the ass <laughs> yes. of that horse. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, shit, this is, a, this is foreshadowing to Leo being in the horse in, like, the second half of this season. 100%. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I was oh like, gosh. I don't really get why it's a hungry horse, but okay, whatever. I'm, let's roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> let's just go with it. Yeah. So I connected that too because I was like, well, this is pretty good that later on we get a man in a horse costume <laughs> later on in the season. So good. Oh, that's another thing. Um, when Cooper, it felt very odd that he would say about making love to a woman that he had genuine feelings for, because I thought that he had that for Carol. Was it Caroline? Caroline? Caroline. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that he had that type of relationship with her, which caused all of the, you know, all the issues that are to come soon. But so it was, uh, it caught me off guard. Cause I thought, I thought Caroline was this person for you. <sighs> Yes, it's it's so strange. And I'm pretty sure that in season one, doesn't Audrey ask him if he's ever been in love or maybe it's when they're shooting in the shooting range. They're talking about being in love. Like, I feel like Cooper makes mention of the fact that he's never been in love before or or maybe he says he's only been in love once or something like that, which could be Caroline. But yeah, this is definitely a. It's strange, and it's one of those things where I can see it being like, well, those are these are like alternate timelines, or they're alternate whatever in Twin yes. Peaks. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Now, I'm curious to know what you picked up about the woods, because all that I could really pick up was just like all of, I mean, obviously all of the things that happen in the woods, but then also um, when Cooper meets back up with... Ugh, Laura Carey, whatever. And they go, and then they have that moment in the woods where it's like he's trying to save her from, you know, what happens to her. But I don't know if I can form a complete like, because we've talked about this, just the woods in general with Twin Peaks. They're magical and they're, it's a, it's a standard theme. The woods have something to do with everything that goes on For sure. in Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah. No, it was the way that you were talking about how uh, when Harriet is reading the poem, 
how did she know this about Laura? Or how did she, like, was it a bigger secret? And the thing that came to me was, and I, I didn't want to say it in the regular episode because I wasn't sure if we had made mention of this before, but coming up, I believe it's during the scene when Maddie is being killed, we see, like, Donna, uh, maybe James, but different people throughout the town are having these reactions, even though they don't know what's going on. But it sets up this idea that the town is very much connected. And so that's the vibe I was getting just as you were talking and trying to parse through it. I was like, okay, so this is just another instance of even if the woods is a thing to all of the people that live in Twin Peaks, this is just another instance of people being connected in these weird ways that we don't quite understand. But is clearly there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, just that, when she said that about the the woods being our sadness or what, it just really, really resonated beautiful. with me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's all okay. you got? Yeah. That's all I've got. Okay. Yeah. Well, of course, when Cooper decides that he's ready to leave the hospital, I immediately think oh. of part 16, and I am of the course. FBI. You know, yes. Cooper just makes his own decisions in those moments. He's fine. <laughs> He's his own doctor, people, okay? I think so. He knows yeah. what's best for him. <laughs> I mean, he probably went to med school while he was at Quantico for the FBI or whatever they do. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's fine. I love it. Yes. When Maddie is looking at the carpet, is this a foreshadowing of her own death? I think I actually think it is. Okay. And it's I think it's her the visions that Sarah has are are different kinds of visions, but it's so, almost yeah. like a vision ma- of Maddie having of her own demise eventually. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Because she definitely dies in that room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I had more about that poem, actually. I forgot. So there's a line that says, and I saw her glowing in the woods. The glow was life. And of course, the golden orb in part eight that Laura, oh, yes. I mean, being sent to yeah. earth like that and the fact that she was, I mean, to me, very, very, like, basic level part eight is good versus evil. And if Laura is good, she's life, right? So yeah. the glow was life. And then, the, the, like, the golden orb being shot into Coop? What the yeah. hell? Okay. I as ha- Lynch would say, ha- or I guess as Gordon Cole yeah. would say, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you know what it made me think of? And this could be a total stretch and a big reach, but was that the moment where... It was the beginnings of a Tulpa situation or something because the the Tulpas have the gold balls. Yes. And so it almost made me think like I I definitely got the vibe I definitely got Whoa. the vibe of of part eight with the Laura being in the golden yes, orb. I the got glow, that. The glow, yeah. But it also made me wonder if this was somehow going to tie into the development of Dougie or something because they turn into these golden balls. That's what they're created from. I don't know. It could be a stretch, like I said, but... No, I really like this. And I mean, I it's made me think, I mean, if Twin Peaks has turned into some sort of time loop, which that is one of the theories... And, you know, we talked about this at the end of our part 18 coverage, but what if what the fireman, who is the giant, right? Um, the clues that he gives to Cooper, like, remember, 430, Richard and Linda, what if that's a warning instead of directive? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you've done this before. Don't do it again. 
And this time he's like, you forgot something. This and oh. maybe because it's the gold ball and it's the, like it's like you were Dougie and, and all of this other stuff. I mean, there's a lot of gaps there that would need to be filled in to make it a full theory. But that's yeah. cool. It just it just gave me that. Yeah, it, it just immediately made me think of Dougie being formed in that moment for some, you know. Well, and I think they refer to it as like the seed. And it's the like seed, the seed yes. of something has been planted in Coop. Mm-hmm. Whether it's knowledge or I don't know, but mm-hmm. ooh, that's fun. <laughs> I love it. I oh love my gosh. So oh gosh. Uh, I just then, love dissecting this show like that. It's just oh so well, good. and now I mean, like I said in the regular episode, I think for some of this, we are gonna eat our words about sh- shit talking season two because a lot of magic does happen in season two mm-hmm. and a lot of the like weirdness of Twin Peaks really gets developed. But man, those marshlands. Um yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, this the, like the the further we move through, the more we're gonna be able to like talk bigger theories and stuff like that. So absolutely. Yes. Then I also wrote down giants clues and I know I wrote them down when we were talking about the second set. One person saw the third man. Maybe we're going to go into it more, but we don't have to. I'm actually like looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. So yeah, me too. Me too. Cause I've got, I've got thoughts in my head, but I kind of want to still be surprised about you it. Because- thoughts in your head. <laughs> hey, wait a minute now. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah I mean yeah I I think that I'm going to regret saying that I don't like season two because already (laughs) after the first episode I'm like okay actually it's good but I never said it wasn't good it's just my least favorite it's just not as good as the rest and I think part of the problem is its length and it's interesting that we don't notice the runtime of the pilot because it just feels it just feels like a normal episode. And yet I totally noticed the runtime here. Mm-hmm. And season two itself feels very bloated. Yeah, it does. There's a lot of filler in there. That's unnecessary. I think so too. And I yeah. know that that's I know that that's just ABC. Like yeah. I know that that was a network thing. I don't I, I I would love to live in an alternate timeline where season one or whatever Twin Peaks was, was just David Lynch and Mark Frost doing what they wanted to do. I mean, would it ever have been canceled? Would we ever know who Laura, who killed Laura Palmer? Like, oh, it's so it's crazy to it's think of. so intriguing to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's all for me. That's all I've got for spoilers. Yeah. Same here. Oh, my gosh. This is I'm just. Yeah, I'm so happy to be back on, like, just rewatching this in general. Because, like I said, I was surprised that there were clues that I just was like, wait a minute, I don't, yeah. what? And so yeah. I'm glad that there's still going to be that surprise, right? Because, like, I remember so much of season one that it wasn't like a lot of things were super surprising yeah. to me because I was like, yeah. oh, I, yeah, I remember all of this. But it's going to be like that for season two. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. 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 The only thing with season one was, oh, I knew this was coming. I just didn't know when. Right. Right. Well, if that's all for this week, we just have one question for you. Do you want to play with fire, little boy? Do Do you want to play with Bob? Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Damn Fine TV podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. 
Come hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter at TV. You can find me on Instagram at DamnFineWitch and Mel's at SuperficialMel's. And if you're watching TV, make sure it's Damn Fine TV. Damn Fine TV. I don't think that you can get too much Twin Peaks. <laughs> what did you say that about the other day? You wanted to be controversial but brave? I said it because I went through this phase in high school where I wanted it to be different. And so I put the U's in, <laughs> in, wor- in words like color, honor. <laughs> Uh, favor like I put the use in yeah. there and then my you were English trying to be teacher or yeah British. she well yeah just European or, or, yeah just like yeah. not a, not American let's sure. put it that way and I got docked points and my English teacher told me she was gonna <laughs> fail me if I didn't start spelling them right and I had this listen I had this whole conversation where I was like well is it right or wrong do you want me to get philosophical with you because some areas of the world do spell it that way and she rolled her eyes at me and she was like get out of my room <laughs> She's like, fine, you get the F. Get out of here. (laughs) Exactly. You just earned it. Get out. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so funny. (sighs) Okay. Okay. All right. Back to to the Meals on Wheels and Gersten.